Okay, as we start in Philippians, looking at chapter 2 through 9, I will read, starting in chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored Mm -hmm. side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind, your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, it's quite fitting to talk about Elijah this morning, um, and the depression or the the uh, anxiety that he felt. Uh, Lord, I alone am here. Uh, just the, the the distress that even after the height of Baal being defeated at Mount Carmel, uh, the worship of Baal being brought to a ridiculous point, to a mocking point, where Elijah literally mocked Baal in front of his priest and showed them to be fools, and drenched the altar. And then fire came from heaven and licked it up to go from that height down to the, the, the scared, the, the running, the fear. Uh, shows the roller coaster that we often live on. Um, so the, the nice thing about, about characters in the Bible is we can often kick them around a little bit if we want to. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to remember those, those chickens come home to roost. That's us. Um, so the, the, the exalt, exaltation in our great times and the, the valleys that we go through also, um, let us remember that there are days we are Peter. We put our foot in our mouth. We're Elijah. We do great things for the Lord and then do not remember those. So um, it's very much a, a rejoice, rejoicing letter, a joyful letter. Sixteen times in Philippians, um, the word for joy is used. Sixteen times. Short letter. And so if you can imagine, I've talked about this before, what is Paul trying to communicate? We, when we look at a letter, when we study it, we want to know what the authorial intent is. Um, we can look and see, pick up clues about what was going on in the church in Philippi by looking at the letter and what he's writing about and see what he's addressing. And then we can take those clues, those truths, those, those things that we find to be truths in the Word and apply those to our lives. So as we look today... Um, it's just a simple truth. There was a little bit of a disagreement. Um, look at verse four, or excuse me, verse two. It says, "I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord." Now, I do not make any claim that I'm pronouncing those well. I'm doing the best I can, but just so you know, don't quote me on the correct pronunciation of that. But it's, Paul is entreating them to agree. Now, just like every disagreement you've ever been a part of the first inclination is, what was going on? I mean, it's, it's, it's natural. I mean, anytime, anytime there's something, some kind of drama, you, you, you lean into it a little bit and you want to, okay, what's the scoop? What's the story? You're not told. You're not going to find out. 
and it's not the main reason why we're looking at it. I would tell you, it's, I don't think it's doctrinal. I, I don't think it's a, a heavy doctrinal issue, and I think the obvious reason is why. Paul didn't call it out. Was Paul timid about calling out doctrinal issues? No. So the fact that he doesn't call this out means this was probably the color of the carpet thing. How many chairs? Obviously, I don't think it was something that superficial. It could have been the the response to, how do we help Paul? There could have been a disagreement in the best way to minister. Who knows what it was? We don't. And it's good. It's one of those times where it's good we don't know what it is because we can't dwell on it. But what we do know is there was a disagreement that Paul, that has arisen in this church with amazing proximity to an apostle. Think about that for a second. There's disagreement that arose in a church with amazing proximity to an apostle. What can we learn from that? That even with amazing proximity to an apostle, there's still going to be difficulties and disagreements. We are going to have them. We are going to, there's going to be something that's going to come up. There's going to be two of us or ten of us on one side and two of us and ten of us on the other side, however it goes, that are going to have a disagreement. It's probably not going to be a doctrinal one. We may have those, but understand there will be disagreements like this that will come up. And what is Paul's admonition to us? Agree in the Lord. I ask you, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. If anybody remembers the earlier lesson I taught off Philippians, how did I say what you are, what you desire will show up? Maybe a stretch for somebody to remember what I said. How, how will what you desire show up? It will show up by what you're satisfied with. What, what your heart truly desires will show up in what you're satisfied with. So we oftentimes say we desire things. So I, if I said I desire my kids to be well-mannered. But then, and, and I told you that. Would you believe me if my kids were brats and backtalked every adult that ever talked to them? I would tell you, hey, man, I really want my kids to be well-mannered. But then I do nothing about it, and the evidence is that I have not done anything about it. That would show that even though I said I desired that, I was satisfied with something different. My, my true desire was probably my own laziness, or something else, my own comfort was desired above the obedience of my children. And so what you are satisfied with will show, will show up what your true desires are, will expose your true desires. So within this, the call is, in this disagreement, the call is to agree in the Lord. And if you look at the focus, he says, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul immediately in the disagreement points to what he had been saying all along. Our primary desire should be the exaltation of Christ, the spread of the gospel. So in the midst of every disagreement we have, take a breath. It's not doctrinal. What do we do? 
humble ourselves. And this is this. I mean, you can back up. You could say Paul's blood are built up to this. <laughs> if you want to consider how it is we're to call to love one another, love covers a multitude of sins. Imagine, if you will, Paul knew from the beginning of his letter he was going to call these two people out by name. Awkward. Written down for the history. How did Paul sung a Christological hymn? They believe 2, 5 through 11 was a Christological hymn that Paul sung in a preparation to call these two people out and to get them to agree in the Lord. If only I was able, Lord, help me to be that able to direct my love towards two people that I need to call out that I can write such a lengthy introduction getting them on the same page as me to agree in the Lord. That's why why you have to take the whole letter together. You have to grab everything. Paul knew when he sat down to write this, he was going to write people's specific names out. That's insanely awkward. And he knew it was going to be. But he loved them and he knew they needed it. He knew they needed it. And so what does he direct them towards? Agree in the Lord. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness... Rejoice in the Lord again, or always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. It's a group effort. One thing, I passed this up, sorry. Chapter, verse 3. It's a group effort to find unity. It's a group effort to find unity. Look back at chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy. And this is why I'm telling you that Paul had this in mind throughout the whole letter. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's a group effort to find unity. Paul calls on, now, the Greek zyzagos, the word there for companion. We're not sure if it's an actual person, uh, specific name that he's saying there, uh, but it's a yoke fellow. Uh, just look at your notes on that. Most Bibles will talk about that a little bit. Um, but he's calling this, whoever this companion is, to help these women. He's calling in, you can call it intervention if you want. Um, calling in a group effort for unity. So if you consider on our response how can we love each other toward a group effort of unity? If you know, and this is this is when you're the outside person. When you're the outside person in the conflict. And you know something's going on or you have an idea that something's going on. What can you do to help them agree in the Lord? How can your steps direct their steps towards Christ? We're herd, we're herd animals. We're not animals. Now, don't, don't hear me when I say that wrong. But herd instinct is very strong amongst humans. And I would say with good reason. But understand, if you've got five brothers and sisters that you trust leaning you towards a direction... The odds of you pushing back against them are very slim. They're people you love, they're people you trust. Now, I'm not saying five brothers or sisters walking up and slapping you. That's a little easier to resist. Could you help me maybe understanding this passage a little bit more? So it says, I treat Eodia and Sintiki to agree in the world. So am I to understand that as they're supposed to agree in something? in the spirit of the Lord or are they supposed to agree in something about the aspect of the Lord? No, if it was doctrinal issue, I think the doctrinal issue would have been spelled out and cleared out, clearly spoken. 
So it's it's a it's a fellowship of the spirit. Yeah, no, it's in, it's in union with Christ as far as you have the same spirit, work towards the same goal. It's not a no. I don't I don't believe it's a doctrinal issue that's splitting him here. If it was, Paul would have called out the wrong doctrinal issue and the right one. Oh no, it could have been trivial, but division in the church is not trivial. Yeah. You're looking at two different issues. You've got two people that are fighting. If they're fighting over something that you might consider trivial, now it's never trivial to the person who's fighting for it. <laughs> Understand that. But if you've got people that are fighting in the church, the issue could be trivial. The division is not. Unity in the church, that's what I'm trying to express here, is unity in the church is that important. I don't believe this is a doctrinal issue because Paul would have called it out. But you have two people for whatever, and this is why it's good that we don't have it, we can't, we can't dwell on what exactly it was. But they had a disagreement. There was something, these two fellow workers, laborers side by side in the gospel, he clearly spells out they were side by side laborers in the gospel. Had they been cre- preaching Christ out of envy, that would have been showed up, showed up earlier. It did. Um, so these are fellow these are fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. These are believers. So put it this way: they're Orthodox believers. Paul doesn't have any doubt of that. But there's a disagreement between them. Now, calling that trivial or not? So the way that he says, like, agree in the Lord means in the spirit of the Lord. Come to yeah, okay. yeah. Keep Christ as your focus. Yeah. And we might also recognize that this is a rebuke. It's, a, it's an open public rebuke to those mm-hmm. women. Absolutely. Uh, but it's a loving rebuke. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that's why I would stress this is this is not in chapter one, verse three. <laughs> yeah. This is not greetings, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, Yodi and Satiki, work it out. No, this is this is after the major doctrinal stuff has come in. It's, it's Paul's pattern of orthodoxy, orthopraxy. This is how we are to believe. This is how we are to live. Now do this. Believe this. This is the truth. This is how our life should look as a response to the truth. The truth, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Consider others more important than yourself. How to live that out? Agree in the Lord. My fellow Sisychus, Sisychus, excuse me, I'm saying it wrong, Sisychus, my yoke fellow, help these women. So it's a call for those two women and other people in the church to help them agree in the Lord, to work it out together. So what's the only reason two people that disagree are going to still work it out together? Because of the gospel. That's agreeing in the Lord. We two different cultures. You, you have the meshing of cultures. You have the meshing of, of different types of people. Different personalities. What's the glue? Christ. The, one, the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is a call to agree in the Lord. Um, I want to add one thought here too. And the thought is that 
with this disagreement between two sisters in Christ, you're saying that Christ is schizophrenic. Uh, that's saying that Christ is divided. That's no, no, that's not good. Yeah. Christ is one. Yeah. And you are to be one. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. Having the same mind, complete my complete my joy by having the same mind. So. We kind of have a similar argument uh, of disagreement between Paul and Barnabas about Mark. There is. It's not that they thought that Mark was an apostate or something. It's just that one thought that he couldn't be dependent on the other one thought that he could. Yep. Maybe he could bend him or shape him better. Yeah. 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 Paul didn't. Paul didn't trust that John. Paul just didn't trust John Mark at that time, and Barnabas did. Um, so. Okay. That answer. Okay. All right. The nature of faithful Christian service. Sixteen times the word joy is put in. Ah. Verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Joy in the Lord. That's what Paul's directing us to. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Psalm 146. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Two ways of looking at the Lord is at hand could be the imminent return of Christ in view, or could be the obvious Christ is at hand, as in the Lord is near to those who call, all to those who call on Him in truth. There's two ways that the, the interpreters have looked at that. One is the Lord is at hand, as in there's the imminent return of Christ. I lean towards the second, which is the, the presence of Christ in the believers. The Lord is at hand. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Your body is the temple of the living God. Um, let your reasonless be known. The Lord is at hand, I think, fits what Paul's directing towards there. Agree in the Lord, because the Lord's with us. The Lord is at hand. Um, do not be anxious about anything. And if you don't have this memorized, memorize it, it will be a blessing to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So. I think we always memorize verse 6 and 7, but truly the sentence starts with the Lord is at hand. Mm-hmm. Yep. On 6. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's why I would argue, yeah. And that, yeah, that's another reason why I would argue for Paul's Paul's intention. There is the fact that Christ is with you, um, is because that is part of the same sense. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. So the Lord is near to, you, and that's why Psalm one forty five eighteen is what the commentators point to. Also for that is because the Lord is near to all those who call on Him, to all those who call on Him in truth. Um, so the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. So, consider as we prepare. So Friday, this coming Friday, it's a call for every single one of y'all to prepare. 
you either need to be preparing yourself for going or praying for those who are. This is an intentional, so if you, if you consider, this is an intentional set-apart time to seek the face of the Lord. An intentional set-apart time. It's not normal in our, in our Christian culture to do it the way we're doing it. Fasting is not common. But we know from the New Testament that we're called to fast. As with the Lord's Supper, we're not given a timeline, an explicit date, or frequency. With fasting, we're not given a timeline, an explicit date, or frequency. But we are called to do the called to fast just as we are called to do the Lord's Supper. Fasting is not an ordinance, but fasting and prayer are so intricately tied together. If 99% of our life, if if you compare the two, if it's been 99% prayer and 1% fasting, think maybe we're probably missing something. So, I would even encourage you, you ladies, you may not be going. If there's a time you can set aside and fast if you're able, it will, I mean, it's a means of grace. It is a way in which God has chosen to bless His people if they will choose to step into that blessing. So, um, prayer before peace. Verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer before peace. If you don't if you don't leave with anything else, leave with the prayer comes before the peace. You just don't expect peace unless you've spent time in prayer. Don't expect your walk to be upright unless your knees have been worn. Don't expect peace. I'm victim of this. I get frustrated when things don't go well. And I forget often. I just haven't spent enough time praying. Prayer before peace. Present your request, but in everything. It says, doesn't, doesn't limit what we're doing. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Any questions so far? Change the direction just a little bit after this. Okay. Verse 8. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now consider. I don't want to hinge too much on Yodi and Sintiki, but I don't mind elevating division in the church. I believe it's given to us an example. We don't know what was going on because we could easily dismiss if we knew what their problem was we could say I don't have that problem we're good check done so if you look at division in the church though do you think it might be a problem 
can we un, can, can, can we do you think we overemphasize or underemphasize division in the church? Think we underemphasize it or overemphasize it, or are we just right where we should be on that plane? We underemphasize. We underemphasize it. Small wedge fells the tall tree. Get some cracks in there. Small wedge. So, Mount Rushmore, they caulk it. If you didn't know this, it's a great fact. They caulk the heads. Massive slabs of granite. Weathering the storms. Get small cracks. And when a little bit of water gets in there, if it freezes, it would start popping it off. The strength of freezing water. They caulk the heads in Mount Rushmore. They have to. Or else we'd have a chipped up mess falling down the mountain. Small cracks in granite are great vulnerabilities. The devil, your adversary, roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He loves to put his claw in a small crack and scratch. It's going to start with something small. So, you've got this massive buildup before he calls two people out. And then the response after... The response after, he calls them to be to, to agree in the Lord. Let your reasonableness be known. And look at his response answer after. It's, it's, no, it's, not a, it's not a just happen to go to the, our perfect prayer verse that we like to memorize. It's there because Paul's telling them, Do not be anxious about this, sisters. Do not be anxious about this, brothers. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Something's bothering you. Let Something's wearing on you about your brother and your sister, about your trials, about the adversity in the church. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's there for a reason, in this order, inspired by God. And after you've done that, what do you do? Finally, brothers... After you've prayed, you've given it to God. Because this is where it, what happens. You pray and you can't quit thinking about it. After you've prayed, focus on whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's honorable. You, 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 see the, you see the natural? Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And this is, you should get a feeling of hyperbole here. If there's any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, you should have a feeling of hyperbole as he's saying this. Think on these things. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And here's where I want you to connect the two together because Paul does this. You know what bookends are? Hold books up. So, bookends are great. Bookends Bookends are cool to see. Authors... Say stuff and put bookends so you'll connect stuff together. Paul said the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Now he says, what does he say? And the God of peace will be with you. That's intentional. That's intentional. It's a bookend. The God of peace will be with you. Connect those two together. What do you have seen? What do you have learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So don't disconnect your prayer from your practice. Because those have bookends around them. Don't disconnect. So after the prayer, so after you've prayed, 
after you've sought God's peace, focus on whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, commendable, anything excellent. Your mindset and trial and adversity. So remember, this is what we call a prison epistle. Paul was writing it probably from house arrest to a church that was concerned about him and had sent help with him. He was in the midst of a trial. And he's calling them to have their focus in the midst of trial and adversity to be this way. That you observe, you learn, you practice, and you move forward. Plant, raise, harvest. Plant, raise, harvest. Plant your seeds, the gospel. Nurture them, water them. The agriculture men... Washing your wives with the water of the word. And reap the harvest of peace. Don't expect the harvest without the planting, the nurturing, or the watering. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Psalm 145.18 The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on him in truth. Questions? I'd like to address one more time, just add one more thing to this idea of disagreements and arguments. Uh, We need to realize that sometimes different people look at different things from a different angle. Mm -hmm. Uh, the The old adage would be, there's a car wreck, the guy's right bumper, right, uh, right fender is white, and the left fender was green. And two different people saying, oh, it was a white car, and it was a green car. There was really, it's the same car. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the principle here is that sometimes the Lord in His grace wants us to look at different things from different angles. A good example would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mm-hmm. There's much agreement within those uh, three Gospels but yet there are times when there appears to be controversy or uh, disagreement. But in reality, there is no disagreement. It's just that we are given these views to uh, broaden our understanding of God's grace. Yep. So sometimes uh, we, we need to keep that in mind. My, my view is not always right. Yep. Uh, I think that's one of the things that he talks about when he says, agree in the Lord. Yeah. I, I need to keep, uh, keep the idea that I'm not always right. Yeah. So, hypothetically, would God, in His sovereignty, His providence, cause two people to view the same subject a little differently? So that... <laughs> So that for His glory and their good, Christ will be exalted in how they respond to each other. If you answer that, a lot of the disagreements we have will fade away. Would God, in His sovereignty and providence, cause two people, two different people, to view the same problem a little differently so that for His glory... And they're good. They might be able to show the love of Christ to each other and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
You're gonna. I mean, God, God has got a massive tool. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And what he has made, where I think it was Lewis said, if you were to see man unfallen, you'd be tempted to worship him. I mean, John was tempted to worship angels. He said, "Don't worship me. I'm a messenger." When you read Revelation. Were you to see each other in your unfallen state, you would be tempted to worship. Because God has made, God, God has an amazing toolbox. God has an amazing creative ability. And we are to glorify Him by reflecting that. And so, don't think it's beyond God. I mean, it, is the city in distress and the Lord hasn't caused it? I mean, we we want to say we're we're going to wear Providence Reformed shirts. Our test of our belief in the providence of God is going to come in our relationships, as He said this morning. They'll know you by your love, and so it's the preacher, the Sunday school teacher has to live up to his sermon or his deal. You got to live up to your Providence T-shirts with each other. So Paul's admonition. And this is where I would want you to see. Paul knew before he was writing Philippians, he was going to call this out. As he was writing, calling them to be of the same mind and to rejoice. We're not called to an Eeyore faith. I said this before. Called to rejoice 16 times. The, joy, the, the word for joy is in here. Paul knew what he was doing. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word to us. That when it gets to the point that our names actually need to be called out. And this is, this is a guideline for pastors, for, for, for you as you call your brothers and sisters out. Have you put in four chapters of work before you did it? Or three chapters of work before you got to chapter four? Because ask yourself that. I mean, that's, slow, that's helped slow me down. Because I, I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem calling people out sometimes. It's, it's sin. Um, and so, ask yourself... Am I willing to put forth three chapters of work before I get to chapter 4, verse 2? Because that's, that's what we're called to do. And so, it's, as I would say, Paul knew what he was headed towards. He knew what he was shooting for. And he loved these people. His, his calling, and we can say this, his, his calling them out by name was for their good, out of love, for God's glory. And how he did it and how he calls him to respond matters. So. Alright. That's all I got. So I want to I do want to end in another prayer. This one's called Joy. There's one part in here that it says, Let my heart leap towards the eternal Sabbath. I don't know about you guys, I'm ready for rest. There are days the striving and the struggling wears on me. I just get tired of seeing dead animals sometimes. If you're going to have animals, which I think is a glorious thing, you're going to deal with dead animals eventually, which is a part of the curse in our sin. So, uh, that part I really let my heart leap toward the eternal Sabbath. So, O Christ... All thy ways of mercy tend to an end in my delight. Thou didst weep, sorrow, suffer, that I might rejoice. For my joy thou hast sent the Comforter, multiplied thy promises, shown me my future happiness, given me a living fountain. 
Thou art preparing joy for me and me for joy. I pray for joy, wait for joy, long for joy. Give me more than I can hold, desire, or think of. Measure out to me my times of degrees and degrees of joy at my work, business, duties. If I weep at night, give me joy in the morning. Let me rest in the thought of thy love, pardon for sin, my title to heaven, my future unspotted state. I am an unworthy recipient of grace. I often disteem thy blood and slight thy love, but can in repentance draw water from the wells of thy joyous forgiveness. Let my heart leap towards the eternal Sabbath, where the work of redemption, sanctification, preservation, glorification is finished and perfected forever, where thou wilt rejoice over me with joy. There is no joy like the joy of heaven, for in that state are no sad divisions, unchristian quarrels, contentions, evil designs, weariness, hunger, cold, sadness, sin, suffering, persecutions, toils of duty. O healthful place where none are sick, O happy land where all are kings, O holy assembly where all are priests, how free a state where none are servants except to thee, bring me speedily to the land of joy. Amen.